Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, this unsettled market following another rate hike by the Fed and more regional bank turmoil. The investment committee debating all of it. Also getting you set for Apple earnings in overtime. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss. Let's first check the markets here. We are around the lows of the day. Dow's down by more than 400 points. You got the Fed hike. You got the regional banks sinking. PacWest, Western Alliance, First Horizon. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, Josh Brown, so the Fed has spoken. The regional banks are still unsettled. How do you see it? Uh, I think the Fed hiking rates into a crisis that itself, uh, it, it, it had created itself, uh, is going to look crazy. I think we'll look back in six months at these last two rate hikes in particular, and we'll say, what on earth were they thinking? Just the same way as we pointed out uh, that they were actually fueling the housing market into a housing shortage and a massive massive rally in home prices. They continued to stimulate by buying mortgage bonds. In a two-year period, uh, home prices were up 44% nationwide. And they continued to buy mortgage bonds during and after. Uh, This makes as much sense, but in in the other direction. It makes no sense at all. So I think uh, this last 50 basis points really is a, 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 I think, a failure uh, uh, on the part of the Fed to imagine that when you say things have a lagged effect, why not allow for that lag to happen? So now we're going to do this thing where we're going to say, oh, well, the Nasdaq's up, so I guess financial conditions haven't tightened enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's keep going. I don't even know what they could be looking at. So uh, we know that the only reason you haven't had a more substantial downdraft in home prices, for example, is that there just aren't enough houses. But you have absolutely exacerbated the affordability crisis. Now you're in a situation where the primary lender to America's small and mid-sized businesses, about 70% of the loans come from uh, regional banks, small and mid-sized banks. Now we know that we have checkmated that industry out of the game. We know that that operates on a lag, and maybe it's not showing up in the data yet. But I really don't understand why we are still in hiking mode right. in the midst right. of a banking crisis. Well, it, it defies. I'm in. I'm a Professor Siegel has been saying this for six months. I've been saying this. Um, I understand that inflation is still elevated relative to you know where it was three years ago, but it is definitely coming down versus one year ago. And I can't understand why they can't just wait and see and feel the need to continue. Uh, to ratchet up the pressure on financial firms all over the country. So, Weiss, you know, the Fed chair yesterday declared the banking system, quote, secure and resilient, okay? Faber this morning on the air in reporting some of the news around the regional bank story, 
said, does the Fed fully understand the turbulence around this area? Um, I think those are fair questions, given what we're witnessing. 48% of U.S. adults polled by Gallup are concerned about the safety of their deposits. Ackman tweets at 7.30 last night, the regional banking system is at risk. Is Josh right? Because he's not the only one who says the Fed should have done nothing yesterday and doesn't fully appreciate what's happening with the regional bank story. You know, when I was at Lehman Brothers, I had a boss who was one of the guys that ran it. And we knew we were going to fire somebody, but, he's, but he said, until you fire him, he's your guy. Same thing here, okay? So, of course, Powell has to say that. What's he going to say? The banks aren't in great shape. They're not resilient. He doesn't have secure. to say they're, not, they're in great shape. He could say he, we're... He didn't say great he shape. Could say he could say we're cognizant of the issues around the regional banks. Therefore, we're, we're not going to do anything this meeting. And we're going to see. Like, I, I do like, think I should pause. Like Rosengren and Kaplan, yep. both former pred, Fed presidents urged right. him to do. Right. But here's the issue. If you take a look at the numbers that came out today, right, productivity is down. It's down because wage inflation is still there and it's accelerating that we saw from last month. So that's an issue. So the biggest issue that, that the Fed can't control if it's run away like it was is inflation. So that's got to be their focus. They don't have a mandate to worry about the stock market. They don't have a mandate to worry about anything but employment and inflation. So, but follow it through a little bit. The banks are in trouble. But the Fed didn't cause it. You can't blame the Fed for SBB's poor risk management. No, but I mean, okay, again, the tightening, that, it's an outgrowth of it. But what are they going to do? Say, oh, we can't worry about inflation because we've got to worry about these poor risk managers? It's not. It, so that's the, what the bank. Doing. Okay. Lumping in SVB with the broader regional right. bank so is let me, let me tell you I'm thinking about specious, it. I think, right? Right. You could point to an idiosyncratic situation right. and say, well, it was poor risk management. It was right. they didn't even have a risk manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This issue, though, that's framing around a lot of the other banks has right. little to nothing to do with that at all. Right. And it has everything to do with the pace a of the rate absolutely. hikes, the delay in it, as, as you know. You're 100% right, 1,000% right, okay, because it's commercial real estate when we get to it at the end of the day. So, actually, SVB and First Republic, they're really sideshows, right? So, you always have, I wouldn't call them bad actors in the conventional sense, bad risk managers. That's the fallout. We'll see more of those. Now, I think what the Fed's saying is one problem at a time. Let's get inflation under control because we need to, because those destroy civilizations, right? So that's what they're doing. But I don't waste a lot of my time figuring out if the Fed is doing the right thing, if Powell's good or not good. I actually think he's doing a good job. I think about what's the impact. So yeah, so Josh, what is the impact? When, right. What is the impact of that rate hike yesterday Exactly. Now, so when Josh, when Josh says what he says, which he's absolutely right, okay, it means that I'm more bearish because you don't want the Fed making a mistake. The Fed may be making a mistake. We won't know. History will tell if Josh, Josh's you know, scenario is right. It's going to be the two biggest mistakes in history, and he very well could be. Time will tell. It doesn't matter. That's the direction we're going. So I'm worried about the market. That's why I'm bearish as I am. I mean, you're not the only one. Uh, I spoke with Jeffrey Gunlock right after the Fed chair finished with the media. Um, and here's what Gunlock told me. I'm really turning more bearish at this point in time. I think the markets for risk assets are too complacent given this cocktail of higher interest rates, quantitative tightening, and credit contraction. Certainly, we should expect higher default rates in lower quality fixed income securities as we move into the end of this year. And I'm strongly of the opinion that investors should be going up in quality in bond portfolios. 
What do we think about that, Jenny? Um, he also thought the Fed shouldn't have done anything. Not necessarily sure that 25, another 25 is going to make the biggest difference in the world, but it only incrementally makes him you know, more bearish to the overall story, as, as I think Weiss and, and Josh are articulating as well. I think we always need to consider everyone's motivation. And we need to remember that Gunlock is a bond manager. So bond managers kind of by their nature tend to skew bearish. Yeah, but he had been saying, even as you would suggest that, that risk assets uh, were going to do well the last few times that I interviewed him, said the S&P 500 could get up to 42 or 4,300. So he uh, certainly is not naive to what was happening in the market and where the stock market could go. Fair enough. So let's let's think about what bearish is and let's think about what's really going on here. So I haven't been feeling great about the market either. And when Gunlack says I'm bearish, I wonder what's the magnitude? Do you think the world's going to collapse? But here's how I'm looking at it, which I would imagine might actually be how he is too, which is what do we know the market hates more than anything? What sets up for a negative market? Uncertainty. And it's interesting because you see Citi out there saying, hey, we think they're going to hike two more times. You see JP Morgan saying we're done. You see Stanley Drunkenmiller last week going out in an article in the FT saying this is the most uncertain I've been in my 45 years as an investor. And then we're getting all these earnings reports. So you've got Ford, Pfizer, DuPont, Martin Marietta, um, Akushnet, I think that's how you say it. It's a golf company. So consumer, Coke, and ASML, totally different industries, but the same kind of earnings reports where every one of those guys beat, had great numbers. And you know what they didn't do? None of them raised guidance for the year. Why? Because they're all saying all right. this is an uncertain environment. So I think what's really at play right now is massive, unbearable, overwhelming uncertainty. Does that set up for massive bearishness? I don't know. Like, I don't think we go back to October lows, but I don't think I don't think we're in an environment where where we're out of the woods. I just think it's hard. Josh, did you want to say something? Of course. Yeah, uh, I usually I usually do. Um, one thing that I think is is relevant to just spotlight here, and and I think you and Weiss touched on this. SVB is sort of its own animal, and then but also it's sort of emblematic. Uh, and maybe it was even the canary in the coal mine. And it's almost poetic that they're so focused on tech and the technology sector was the one to crash first. So they felt it first, right? Like last year, as, as tough as the overall market was, venture capital was just a slaughterhouse. And so seeing this show up at First Republic and SVB first makes a lot of sense in terms of the cadence and the order. Now we're talking about Comerica. This isn't Mark Zuckerberg doing a mortgage at Comerica. This is real America, like the, the America I don't even live in. This is not coastal elite, top 1% white glove banking. This is where the rubber meets the road. Look at the KRE for a moment. Let's pull that up. About to make uh, three-year lows, um, getting down almost to as low as it was uh, during the pandemic, and not very far away from the great financial crisis, frank quite frankly. 85% uh, of the names in the KRE are making a fresh 52-week low today. Um, that's actually a higher reading than the day of the SVB uh, crisis, um, which you had 65% of those names making a new low. So now it's pretty much the entire index uh, low of the year. Um, the KRE itself is down 34% year-to-date. Contrast that with the large banks, the XLF is only down 6%, and the S&P, shockingly, is still up 7% on the year. So this is a very uh, specific situation to regional banks. 
But regional banks are really important to real America and actual businesses on Main Street. Mm -hmm. And again, we talk about these things have a lagging effect. First of all, rate hikes have a lagging effect. Second of all, uh, lending standards shooting up out of the blue. That has a lagging effect. There's a lot of shoes still to drop, and they have not dropped yet. And we did a rate hike yesterday. So I'm not saying the Fed should say, we, we done, we're, we're done, we, we beat inflation. I'm saying the pace is ludicrous with yeah. absolutely so, no pause I, I'm to just you look around. Yeah. Let's look at history a little bit. So, the, so what we've seen... Biggest rate hike cycle since 2007. What happened in 2008? Right, we had the housing crisis. Well, this is the financial. fastest pace of hikes in 40 years. Right, right. And what happened in other periods post-inflation? Right, we've seen recessions, whether it's 70, 74. You can keep going through. So we're going to have recession. So the question is, how deep will it be? Josh points out correctly. So having come from Milken, 4,000 people there, talking to a bunch of CEOs, top S&P CEOs, the real investors, real money that have a choice of what they're doing. Nobody's going out and putting money into new ventures. They're holding cash to support what they have because they know that credit cycle is going to continue. Here's gonna, what I want to know. I think, yeah. I think what, I, what I really want to know is we, if we think that that was it yesterday, okay, what are we supposed to do? Is, are you supposed to buy stocks because we, no. we, we don't think that the regional bank issue is going to become a even the greater issue. is only at 21. Issue. It's a great issue, though. It's a great issue because it's tied to credit because you can't get credit for new jobs. You can't get credit for construction. In other words, loans. so the Fed hikes yesterday. You're more negative today than you've been. Uh, I'm, uh, you said yes, you were yeah, more bearish. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to be more well, you negative. You said you were more bearish. Right. It's tough to be more negative, but yes. So you sold right. you sold Google. You sold yeah. Alphabet. Is, is that reflective of that? No. That's what is ref- that? That's, I spent some time with Brad Gerstner after it, and, and I'd been thinking about it, that you, you have a monopoly in Google, right? 90% share. So Microsoft, brilliant coming out. It's not prime time ready. I listened to the CEO, one of the founders of Chat GDP. They're rolling out more and more products. Um, so that's enough for advertisers, an already weak advertising market, to say, you know what, we're not paying monopoly prices anymore because now we've got a legitimate contender, which is Bing. So I believe that that is going to pressure Google already, and Google has not launched products. So there aren't many, um, there aren't many, you know, monopolies in tech that survive the test of time. Google's, I think, on, you know, on borrowed time in that regard. Well, I think if you have a portfolio of stocks and it's working for you, I think you continue to hold that. But, but you I mean, can. How many people have? What does that mean? Okay, I have a mean you own Apple, Microsoft, you, you, I mean, and, I think it means and NVIDIA. If you're sitting on, ca- no, that's silly. But I think, okay, let's think about my clients. Most of my clients are fully invested. And what are their portfolios doing for them? First of all, they have long-term capital gains, right? Why pay the tax bill? We all know that over the long run, the market's going up. If you're a trader and you're being cute, right, or if you're a trader, I shouldn't say I'm being cute. If you're a trader, like maybe, you know, maybe you don't buy stocks now. But what am I doing? I'm sitting on some cash but I'm mostly invested. And why am I sitting on some cash? Because I think this market is going to reward patients and give me better entry points on the stocks that I want to buy. But would I cut off my nose to spite my face and sell the whole portfolio? Absolutely not. And by the way, we cannot forget that this market is still at 5%. And, and I agree with that, by the way. I agree. Don't sell what you have. Don't don't pay taxes. Paying taxes, you're betting the market's going down another 30 I know, but are you supposed to be more more negative today because okay. you're no, you because should. you're worried about the regional banks I, and they, they should, you don't 
don't you don't think they should have hiked? Are you supposed you, to be more positive? I, Hang on. Are you yeah. supposed to be more positive because you think the Fed's at the end of its hiking cycle? I think you are doing your homework right now, right, and getting ready. And I and I think you're getting more positive. So I'll give you a perfect example. You may recall that last November we were having a bank discussion and I said, I'm looking at Truist and I'm looking at PNC, but I'm not buying them now because we all know that interest rates are going up and those share prices haven't accounted for the change in net interest margin that's coming when they need to pay more for deposits. So where am I today? I'm still looking at them. I haven't bought them yet. I don't know when the time is, but I know that massive opportunity is being created both in the banking sector and in other segments of the market. We're seeing huge bifurcations. So now what you're doing is you're getting excited and you're doing your homework and you're putting yourself in a position to buy stocks when they hit the right prices. The Fed pausing, if they came out and said they'd pause, as I said yesterday, Mark would rally. But I would be selling into Well, he sort of implied that they're at the end of the road. Right. But what's not paused is the impact on the economy, as Josh mentioned. I've mentioned repeatedly lagging effect. Here's what I do. Um, Yeah, you have your shopping list. But as I've said many, many times, I'd rather miss the first 10% rally instead of losing money and taking the next 20% down. So you have tremendous alternatives you haven't had in 15 years. And that's 4 to 5% in fixed income and credit. You're going to get monstrous conditions that, and you're seeing them already. Well, no, you know. that, and that's what Gunlock was talking about yesterday too, right? You can get higher interest rates by a lot. Yep. Thanks to the 500 basis point increases that you've got. You can get bills at 5.2% for, for a couple months. Yep. The two-year treasuries fall on 100 basis points uh, in terms of... I bought a Wells Fargo CD two months ago at a 5.3%. I bought six and two-month paper near 5%. But see, that's why, Josh, the, the 25 on its face doesn't mean anything. 25 in total to get you to 500 basis points in a little more than a year, especially when you have... Um, banking issues that feel unsettling, that's everything because it just underscores the alternative that exists today to equities if you don't want to have the risk. Yeah, and that's a a very big hurdle to get over for an allocator to make that decision to buy that incremental percentage or two or three or four percent of a portfolio into equities when, you know, the easy button is six month T-bills. And that is a huge part of what's going on right now in my world uh, in in wealth management. Um, You've got basically you've got a situation now where you have to make the case that 17 percent annualized volatility, which is the the S&P 500 uh, or standard deviation, is 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 worth accepting um, to try to get seven, eight or nine percent when you could just have five for free. And so you are seeing uh, in real time financial advisors, family offices, you name it, everybody reacclimating to a brand new world, something that we couldn't have even imagined 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are already. And you're now looking at a situation where, look, you're going to have Apple report. It's the biggest company in the world, hugely important for markets, just mathematically, let alone spiritually. Like, this is the bellwether of all bellwethers. They might have great results, and it might not be enough. It might not matter to the markets because of how much easier it is to just default to cash. So that's the, that's the scenario that we're in right now. It won't be forever. Um, but I, I think it's interesting because coming into the year, we heard about the death of the 60-40 or, uh, you know, why do, you, why do you need to buy bonds? 
now you're in a situation where smart investors who stayed the course and kept their portfolio diversified, they may not be having that much fun on the stock side of their portfolio this month, but they've got that bond position, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. risk-free treasuries specifically, and that's, I think, uh, why this year, even if we have as much volatility as last year eventually, this year feels uh, less bad than last year. Last year, there was nothing working. This year, you've got the risk-free portion of your portfolio working. So, Jenny, wrap it up before we take a break. So the most important thing that you just said, Josh, is it won't be forever. And that's what people need to remember. If they're buying these treasuries and they're getting 5.5%, that's going to be short-lived. So you need to be ready to pivot on that when when the yields start to come down. All right, so Josh mentioned Apple. Uh, It does report, of course, in overtime, the big event today. We're going to give you the setup next, and later Josh Brown has a new buy himself. You can stay with us for that name coming up. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. About four hours away from Apple earnings in overtime. The last of the big mega caps to report a 4% decline uh, on revenue uh, is expected with the second straight quarter. Only a third time in a decade that Apple has posted back-to-back quarters of falling revenue. What are we set up for here, Josh, do you think? All right. So uh, I'm actually pretty optimistic about Apple going into this quarter because I don't think the expectations are t- uh, are terribly high. The street is looking for a dollar forty-three in earnings per share on about ninety-three billion dollars in sales. Um, that would be negative four and a half percent year-over-year uh, growth. So it's not like this is one of these names where the expectations have been ratcheted up all year. Um, the street is also looking for about ninety billion dollars in buybacks and dividends. Um, one feather in the cap for the bulls, uh, Foxconn, which essentially makes everything that Apple sells, uh, estimated record sales for Q1 2023. So a lot of people pay attention to that. One of the more interesting things about Apple recently is the push into India. During this quarter, they opened their first store in India. Um, they have less than 5% of the smartphone market share in India. There's a good reason for that. Most people per capita cannot afford a regularly priced iPhone in that country, but that could be a huge engine for growth for uh, Apple going forward. Um, So I think the street's going to want to hear a little bit more color on that growth initiative. The Achilles heel for Apple is whatever the hell is going on in China, uh, and that changes every quarter, and there's always consternation about that. So maybe that'll be something that uh, people will be paying close attention to as well. I mean, iPhone sales, Josh, are expected to be down 4%. Um, Services is is slowing, right? It's expected to grow 5.8. 
that would be a bit slower than the December quarter pace. Um, those are real issues that I, I guess are, are going to be even more front and center if you consider what the stock has done year to date near 30 percent up. The market, uh, the, the investor base has prioritized steadiness and, and, uh, and reliable cash flows over pretty much everything else when it comes to big tech this year. Like that is the thing that they are choosing to focus on. Um, and so I think that that has helped Apple just in terms of people running there for a place to be. Um, it's big, it's liquid, the stock is up on the year. Um, there's been momentum in the share price. So I think that that's really what the tailwind for Apple has been so far. Mm -hmm. This is not the cheapest you've been able to buy Apple in a while. Um, this is not necessarily from a valuation standpoint, a great entry uh, point, but if you understand how investors feel this year, then you understand why this has been one of the stocks that they've leaned on. Weiss, how do you see this? I mean, you've owned it. Do you own it now? I do I not own it now. But you have owned it. I have. Um, I have. What do we think here? Also take into consideration the timing of the report. Just it's the last mega cap. Yep. The stocks have already done a lot. Yep. So put that into context then. Yeah. So look, it's, uh, as you mentioned, they've had back-to-back -back slower quarters, down quarters before, and the stock's still trading near an all-time high. So it'll recover. It's obviously well advertised, and I think people would be shocked if they put up good numbers. So bad numbers, meaning a slowing in services, which has been slowing, and device sales. I, think, yeah, I thought you were going to say they'd be shocked if they put up bad numbers. No, no. Uh, so you, it, you, you think they may put, yeah, put up I bad do, numbers. but I do, but so I think there's some vulnerability in the stock when you take that in conjunction with their valuation. But Apple, I wouldn't sell it in front of the quarter if I owned it because it's a global brand. It's going to trade with the markets, the market valuation umbrella. So I do think there's risk to it. I do think I'll be able to buy lower, and that's what I'll look forward to doing. You don't like the valuation, I know that. All right. I mean, nobody's been more wrong than me, but maybe like a broken clock, I'll be right one day. Um, but I think when Josh says that there is not a lot of anticipation in it, that's what I'd argue with, which is the stock's up 27% this year, trading at 27 times with reasonable, like single, mid-high, single-digit earnings. It's growth. flat over the last year. Okay, it's but flat it's over the last year. Fine, but it's still done better than the market, significantly so, however you cut it. And so my point is, I think there is a lot of anticipation already in the shares. I personally can't get behind that valuation. It's a place to hide. It'll continue to be a place to hide. Define hide. Even if it sells well, like off. Most, you know, a lot of places to hide, they are until they aren't. Right. Well, so what do you have? Maybe 10% downside, maybe 20% downside. You've got that in the market. So why not save the quality? I'm not buying it here. I'll get a much better opportunity to buy it, and that's all I'll step in. Valuation, valuation multiples expanded while the growth has slowed. That's not a good story. Right. Yeah. All right, coming up. Paramount Global plunging after a weak earnings report and a dividend cut. Halftime committee member Jim Labenthal. You know he's a shareholder. He's calling in next with his reaction. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. West Virginia said the state has reached a $68 million settlement with Kroger today. The payment looks to settle claims that the company fueled the opioid epidemic by failing to effectively regulate pill sales. This brings the state's years-long litigation over opioids to a close. Tyree Nichols' autopsy revealed he died of a blunt force trauma, according to his family's lawyers. In a statement on Wednesday, the lawyers also said his death was ruled a homicide. Nichols died three days after a brutal beating by Memphis police officers. And Attorney General, General Letitia James and Rob Bonta have launched an investigation into allegations of discrimination and a hostile work environment at the National Football League. This comes just over a year after the NFL was told to improve conditions for female employees. The league said the allegations were, quote, entirely inconsistent with its values and practices that it is fully cooperating with the Attorney General. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I right, appreciate that. Seema Modi, thank you very much. Let's get to our chart of the day. It is paramount. Sinking after missing earnings. On pace for the worst day ever. Jim Laventhal, he owns the stock. Uh, good enough to join us to talk about it. Uh, I know it's a rough day for you, Jimmy. But what's your reaction here? Stock as we see it right here as we speak, uh, down 27.5%. Yeah, Scott, thanks for having me on. You're not going to be surprised to hear me say I'm having a bad day. Um, now, with that pity party out of the way, I'll say that anybody who's an investor has days like today where you just get punched in the face and you got to get up off the mat and decide what to do. Okay, so I'm up off the mat. I'm going to tell you, I don't think you're supposed to sell Paramount here, and I'm not going to. And the reason why is just if you, if you look at the enterprise value of about $28 billion right now, that's if somebody wanted to come in and buy this whole thing, $80 million uh, of the Paramount Plus subscribers, another $80 million of the Pluto TV subscribers, they do that assuming all the net debt for $28 billion. I look at that, I compare it to Netflix, uh, about 240 million subscribers with an enterprise value of 150 million, excuse me, 150 billion. And I just say to myself, it's, it's below intrinsic fair value. It's a terrible day today. This feels like I can't even say it on air. Okay, and the dividend cut doesn't help. But the stock is trading like this company is going out of business. And I look at this and I say, no way. There's a lot of intrinsic value here. If they, it was a bad quarter, they're going to get through this and earn money. But they would be very wise to look for a strategic partner. Very wise. I mean, you know, we we, we discussed this when, you know, Becky interviewed Warren Buffett, Becky Quick, our own Becky Quick, of course. Um, interviewed Buffett and brought up Paramount. And to say he was cagey about it was kind of an understatement. He sort of gave a laundry list of all the reasons maybe he wouldn't want to own it. 
which is what she said to him. And he chuckled and he's like, well, you know, let, let's see kind of thing. I mean, they got a lot of losses on their subs. Now they do the div cut. Backish says uncertain and challenging macro environment impacted financials. Um, and I know you've been focused on the number of subscribers, not the amount of losses that the company is seeing. I'm wondering if you would change your view on how you're looking at this company now. Well, of course, of course, I'm reexamining my view very, very harshly in a very strong Klieg like here. You know, there's one thing in today's report that I think bears mention, which is that in addition to the four million uh, Paramount Plus subscribers, they raised ARPU during the quarter. Now, granted, ARPU is low when you compare it to, say, Netflix, but they raised ARPU. And then it indicates they've got some pricing power here. What I'm trying to say here is it's just not as bad as this market decline would seem to indicate. And by the way, I think the market decline has a lot more to do with the dividend cut. But, Scott, let me just go back to these numbers. Between Pluto TV and Paramount Plus, there's 160 million subscribers. That's of meaningful value. To the Becky Quick interview, uh, we talked about it. That was a heck of an interview. That didn't sound like a company that Warren Buffett wanted to invest in. I've never known him to invest in something that he didn't like, which is why it made me think this was a Wexler Coombs investment. You and, and uh, David Faber had suggested that, well, he thinks there's a buyout coming. Maybe there is. The hurdle here is Sherry Redstone, and I have to, I have to think that she's getting the message with these numbers that she can't hold out for too, long, too much longer. It so, would be wise to sell it. I don't mean to add insult to injury at all, Jimmy. And again, I, I really do appreciate your willingness to come on today, knowing that it, it's obviously the, the questions were not going to be, um, you know, all, all fuzzy. Qualcomm's yeah. down 7% too. Their guidance was weak. You've made the case for that one too. Their CEO says they're, quote, seeing further demand deterioration. Yeah, this was this didn't make me happy either. Uh, obviously, not a good day. Uh, certainly, I'm going to stand up uh, and and own up to this. I'm not going to sell this either. You know, estimates are coming down, but this is still trading somewhere around ten times earnings. Uh, the the cell phone market, the smartphone market, is going to bottom. I thought it would have bottomed already, but it hasn't, and it's going to. And in the meantime, they are showing good growth in their automotive and Internet of Things. It's just that growth is not enough in the last quarter uh, to outweigh the still more abundant smartphone market. But I think I don't think I'm being provocative when I say that at some point the smartphone market will bottom. And with China reopening, I feel like that's sooner rather than later. But, yeah, today is just a, a really bad day. And all of us as investors have this from time to time. It ain't fun. But, yeah, I'm going to come on, Scott, and I'm going to own up to what uh, what I've recommended. All right. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, Jimmy. That's Jim Labenthal. Thanks, Scotty. Speaking Probably tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Mr. Buffett, uh, we're going to hear from him on Saturday. Be sure to catch CNBC's special programming of the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting over the weekend. Mike and the uh, aforementioned Becky Quick are going to be in Omaha, our live coverage, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Coming up, the committee's making some more moves. We'll get the latest trades from, got a new buy from Josh. Uh, we got something from Weiss. But first, a message from Ancestry President and CEO Deborah Liu as CNBC celebrates Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. 
grew up in a small town in South Carolina, one of the very few Asians in the state, and I grew up going to football games and eating hot dogs and going to state fairs, and I love that. And yet at, the, at home, I learned a different language, we ate different foods, and marrying those things together, being able to share that with others, that's such an important part of what it means to be an Asian American, and I'm so proud of that. But that's also why I'm part of Ancestry when I joined this company to help people discover, craft, and connect around their family history because we all bring the experiences that we have, our cultures, our history, and make this country as rich as it is because we can bring it all together. Welcome back. Uh, it's been a desert of activity in the IPO market, as you know, but we do have a big one here at the New York Stock Exchange today. Bob Pisani, looks like we're getting a little closer on Kenview, that J&J spin. I'm looking over my shoulder. I can see you in the scrum. It is here, and it's really nice to see a big crowd down here on the floor, Scott. It's just like the old days here. We're getting a new indication, but here we are. Take a look at the board. 25.45 to 25.55. And as a general rule of thumb, folks, when you get within 10 cents with a bid ask, that's essentially getting ready to go within a few minutes. So remember this deal. It was 151 million shares at 20 to 23. They upsized it last night to 172 million. The price was 22. That's 3.8 billion. That is the biggest IPO since Rivian was November of 2021. And they did over $11 billion. As Scott said, folks, it's been a long IPO desert. It's been a year and a half now. And the hope is maybe this will start opening up the market. We'd have to, the IPO market, we need the market to settle down a little bit. We got the ARM announcement uh, last week where they're talking about uh, doing it. Are we getting close, Pete? They're not holding this, Bob. They're getting close here. We're probably about a minute away. I got a long list, Scott, of people that are companies that are trying to get public here. Instacart filed in May 2022. They've been out there a long time. Reddit filed in December 2021. Still hasn't gone public. We have Fanatics, Flipkart, StubHub, Klarna, Stripe. The list goes on and on and on. This, again, the biggest one we've seen in a long time. And the hope that this will be it here. This is called Best Limits. Okay, so what they're doing here is this is the last call. This is an actual auction process where they're going out and saying to everybody, this is the final price here, 25.45 to 55. We, the book runners, which is J.P. Morgan and Goldman, are going to price this soon. Anybody else wants to make a bid, they need to get the bids in right now. And you could get final. What you've got here is people were holding back at the last minute trying to figure out whether they want to put another bid in that might change the initial indication of the price. And at some point, what happens is the book runners, J.P. Morgan and Goldman here, will say, okay, guys, that's it, enough. We're not waiting any longer. The game here is to get the highest price, obviously. So they're waiting for final bidders who are holding back to come in and actually do something. But again, the whole game here is waiting for the IPO market to open up the two things you need, a stable market and stable interest rates. Those two things have prevented the market from doing anything for the long, long time. So we have anything, Pete? 25, 45 to 55. 
the numbers have been going up, you see? As we're standing here, they keep going up. And here's the CEO who's very, very happy. Folks, if you're wondering, is this a good price? At $22, with a company that everybody knows, the revenues of this company are well known. It's public, all information on it. At $25.45 to $25.55, that would be a 15% pop for a company where all the main metrics are known. Yeah, that is a very successful IPO. So we're still working for this? He's, he's got it. See, now they're going out and saying, Phil, we got anything closer? One second. It's still five and a half. They're going to pull down the final bids. They're going in out right now and telling everyone they want to get a final bid in. So this is, the, this is what it's like to have an auction process. It looks like a, uh, some high-tech thing that's going on, and it is. They're communicating upstairs with J.P. Morgan and Goldman, Scott, but they're still trying to pull this final bid in. They're, they're trying to get the last possible bidder to push the price up. It's, a little higher. It's high, it's high tech, obviously, as you said. Wait, it's, hold on one it's, second. It's kind of old school at the same time. Uh, as we wait for that J and J spin right. pen view, uh, looks like we're just seconds away. We're just seconds away. And there, and Lynn, you see Lynn Martin behind the, the CEO right here, the president of the New York Stock Exchange. They're all, they're all here trying to figure out what the next move is going to be. Can they get the final one in? I know it sounds amazing, but they really are trying to get the last bids out of the crowd. So the people here in the crowd are bidding, like Peter here, are bidding, and there are people who are upstairs who are bidding as well. And so there, there's the entire representation. Thirty seconds. They're giving. Okay, so JP Morgan and Goldman are, are, are calling a halt to the auction, and they're saying we're going to close on this. Twenty-five and a half. Twenty-five and a half. Twenty-five and a half. They're asking the final bids. They're closing. There's Pete. He's closed the book. Is it going to open? 51! They got another bid. You see, this is what happened. Somebody put another bid in at the very, very final second, just as he was calling it. We're still holding it? They're still holding it. This is what happens, folks. This is like an auction where the last guy. 55! They just pushed up. 2555. 52. 52. Okay, now it's 2550 to 2555. 52. Still holding. They changed their limit? They're still holding it, right? Give yourself a nickel. 2553. Okay, so it was 2550. They were closing it. 2553. They closed it. It is open. CEO. Congratulations. Congratulations. Good job. There's Lynn Martin, of course, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, congratulating him. And I guess the big hope here is that this is going to somehow open up the IPO market. Lynn, you want to say something? Lynn, you want to say something? It hopes for the IPO market? We hope, but this is a great company. We're thrilled with the results. Congratulations. Tremendous open. You must be very happy. It's a great day for Kenview and for all our team members around the world. Great day for Kenview. Congratulations. And again, folks, the game here is let's see if the market opens up a little bit. And yeah. as you know, Scotty, state of the market, state of interest rates, the two most important things yeah. to get the no, it's a good day for it's a good day for the markets, Bob. It's, it's been a, a long time coming, as you said. 
to get an IPO and see that kind of excitement, to hear that bell. We're used to hearing the open and the close, of course, but uh, Makes that's you feel a, good, a pleasant sound for certain down here. Yeah. Bob, thank you so right. much. That was fabulous. That's Bob Pisani uh, reporting as we watch the Kenview uh, IPO go out. It is officially open. We're back with Josh Brown's latest buy after this. All right, let's get to Josh uh, Brown now for that new move of his, a new buy. Uh, Schrodinger? Schrodinger, what is this? Um, let me just say, this is on the more speculative side of anything that I ever do. It's a $2 billion market cap, and the company is not expected to have full-year profitability until, like, 2025. So nobody should be buying this stock just because I am. Uh, make sure to do your own research. What I like about it is that this is AI or machine learning drug discovery. And it's basically three businesses in, in one. They've been around for 30 years. So this is not a company that came along to take advantage of, of the AI uh, boom. Basically, they have a platform that is able to analyze molecules at a much faster rate than most pharma and most laboratories are currently able to do. Uh, they have a platform that can evaluate molecules in hours versus weeks as the industry standard. And faster and better means quicker uh, time to market for drug companies. So they just signed a deal with Eli Lilly this week. Uh, they've signed a deal with Sanofi. They've signed uh, Bristol Myers. And they are working with some of the largest companies in the world to help them develop drugs in a more safe way, in a faster way. Um, the other business that they're in is they'll take an equity stake in smaller companies going after drug targets, and then they'll get you know big payments from that as equity investors. The last thing they'll do is they'll just license their platform for self-use. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the larger shareholder. I think they own 23% of the company. Uh, it's been public for a couple of years. Very, very speculative. Um, earnings are tonight. I don't think that I would be jumping in for the first time with a big position because God knows what could happen. So I have a very, very small position here. Okay. I plan to learn more about the company as I go and add to it. All right. I appreciate that. We'll step away. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. We'll have a big closing bell for you. Three o'clock Eastern gets you right up to the door for Apple earnings in overtime. Dan Ives is going to join us. Uh, Joe Ternova, Jason Snipe, got Leslie Picker with the very latest as she reports all day on the regional banks. And Dubrovko Lakos of JP Morgan is going to be with us here at the New York Stock Exchange, too. So uh, we'll get through a lot. Look forward to everybody joining us for that. By the way, big congratulations to Jenny Harrington as well. Gilman Hill Asset Management has been named International Equity Manager of the Year by Emerging Manager Monthly. Congratulations to you and your team. What's your final yeah, trade? Jenny. Williams. The CEO was on earlier. They just reported fantastic earnings. They increased the dividend by 5.3%. Traditional midstream assets with a 6.2% dividend yield right now. Josh Brown. Shake Shack up huge today after a really good earnings report. Congrats to the team. Yeah, uh, there it is. Wow, 12.5%. That's the highs of the day uh, for Shaq. Mr. Weiss. I sold Bungie. Uh, quarter was good. 
but there was so much uncertainty in the tone from the CEO and on the conference call that I just thought, okay, it's a trading range of 90 to 100, but it's going to break it on the bottom end. All right. Dow is off the lows, uh, still down more than 300. I'll see you on the closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.